0: I'm Don Wisher, and I'm Katie Metz, and this is How to Teach College. Welcome back to How to Teach College. I am Katie Metz, and I am here with my beautiful friend and colleague. (laughs) It's been a little bit. I missed you. I missed you too. So, um. We're doing something fun. This is Dawn, by the way. You didn't even
1: Well, I said I'm back and my my <laughs> my creepy voice that I assumed people would know by now.
0: Um,
1: we're we're doing something different today. We are. Where are we, Dawn? Well, I feel like there are it's almost like I feel like there are people watching me. Oh man, it's so it, odd. Just Isn't there a odd? song like I always to,
0: Somebody's watching me. Oh, that's the first time I'm oh, saying on we the podcast. And, so there's that. We should that. create a singing podcast. Okay,
1: okay, we won't do that. So, yes, welcome, oh listeners, and welcome, audience members. We are live from the Falcon Conference. Let's see, this is fall 2019. It is. And, and I should have the, oh, I meant to, to say what the theme was, but. I don't have the program in front of me. We'll edit later. We will. Edit later. <laughs> we won't. But but this, this podcast episode we are talking about how we learn. So of course we get to be in the classroom and helping our students learn and learning with them. But this podcast episode is how we learn. And so we are here with colleagues from other universities that that do what we do. They are in the classroom and they are teaching. And so actually before we even turn the mic on, we solicited some questions that we hope we can take and and be able to to answer those so that we, we are engaging the people that are in the room with us as well as the listeners. So
0: pressure's on because Pressure for the is first on. time ever, somebody other than our dogs is watching <laughs> us record this podcast. That's yes, yes. So, so what are we learning about today, Don.
1: Yeah, well, spoiler alert, one of the ways that we definitely learn is by Going to to conferences, and and so we'll be talking a little bit about. I know I went to a session last night, so I can speak to that a little bit. But I, I wanted to frame this. Um, one a, f- a friend of mine, her aunt was actually the CEO of Burberry at one point. I think she's at Apple now, and she had told me that her mantra was to always be learning. And this was a few years ago, and I I liked that, and I, I tell my students, you know, that's my mantra, and and I love learning with and from them. And I've got the book with me. Of course, the the listeners can't can't see it, but Linda Nielsen's book, Creating Self-Regulated Learners, is one that I'm looking at right now. So again, spoiler alert there, another way to be learning. But I like this quote from the book, and it talks about lifelong learners, which I know we've talked about on the podcast before, but... Basically, she says, only lifelong learners will be able to keep up with the explosive growth of knowledge and skills in their career and to retool into a new career after their previous one runs its course, because that's kind of where we are in the world is that you know people aren't necessarily always in that, that one career from start to finish. But, but I think it's a good way to frame this with the fact that, yes, our students are learners and we are learners and just that, that lifelong learning and, and just the joy of learning. And so we're going to talk about, you know, conferences and books and journals that we look at,
0: podcasts, hosting podcasts, (laughs) anything you want to add to that? We are at a conference right now. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? And something that I figured out about myself, like early on in the process, when I started attending conferences, I, as listeners know, used to be part of your department, Mm -hmm. Communication Professional and Computer Skills, and attended the Association for Business Communication Conference a lot. Something that I noticed that was important for me is just attending the conference. So I'm gonna get in trouble here with my live audience because everybody's attending a session right now and hoping that it's good, Yes, (laughs) which it is so far, (laughs) but... um, I mean, it's not like
1: they passed out surveys beforehand or anything (laughs) like like that. So it's not like
0: (laughs) there's any pressure at all. Critique us or ask questions (laughs) at all. But um, something that helps me a lot is just attending a conference. Mm -hmm. So I know that sounds so simple, but you're at a conference and other people are in like-minded situations. So even if my point was this, Took me a minute. (laughs) Even if you're not attending a session, just being at the conference, I think is a really important factor in understanding your discipline because you're networking with people, but also you're just in a mentality that we are here to learn. We're actually here because the goal of this conference is to get better at something, whether that is a pedagogical focused conference like Falcon or a disciplinary focused conference. So I found my best moments in conference learning in particular have come in two ways. One, from just being able to regroup. I actually went to a conference with my husband last week. It had nothing, it was a sport marketing association, had nothing to do with me at all. But I sat in the lobby and worked for two straight days because people around me were frantically coming up with ideas and they were focused on uh, their own research and pedagogy. And it was just like really inspiring to kind of sit in a group of other people. But the second way is that you can go into a session, you're in an hour long session or whatever it may be, and you can be there for 30 seconds and get one of the best ideas you've ever had. Mm -hmm. So some of my best learning moments have come from just a quick idea that somebody has given me that I can take on um, later on.
1: Well, last night, and I I will talk to our our live audience here, were any of you here for the Teaching Truths talk? And so the speaker, Mike, he, he definitely had us talking to the people at our tables as well as he was giving us information. And he did say that that teaching is entertaining because we know that attention spans continue to decrease, and we we do have to be engaging. So we can say engaging, we can say entertaining, but but that's part of it. And so he even said, "You know, as you're on these breaks and getting coffee, go and ask people, how do you break up that classroom? Do you, you know hes show a video clip. Do you have some class discussion?" Do you You have a pop quiz? What is it that you do? He even had us do some improv. And if you've listened to this podcast, then you know that that's a love of mine is to utilize improv in the classroom. And he had us do that last night. So that's a good way just to even ask other people that teach. And, and it's, actually, it's interesting to get outside of the discipline. I know I saw someone in the audience here, Erin Cooper, who I watched a presentation that she gave where she talked about the lineup, where you can get people in a line and then start to ask questions and sort of have them move on that spectrum. So yeah, when you go to conferences, it may be someone that's completely outside of your discipline, but just seeing, the, hey, I do this in a physics class, okay, I can apply that in a in a presentations class. Right. Yeah. And,
0: um, so we were just talking about this with a live audience. just. Spoiler alert! This is going to be a repeat for some of you, yeah. um, but we, but this podcast itself is a way that we have grown our learning in pedagogy a lot. Partly because Michael Maroney, director of Facet, an <sighs> audience member right now, He is in the audience. He is in the audience, and he so t- intimidating that Michael we'll see, Maroney. Luckily, he's in the back, so I think we're good for now. <laughs> um, but and he has a question. I don't know if I'm going to post live just because it's intimidating too. But um, <laughs> there's a thing with he, that. Michael. He talked. He talked a lot about incorporating re- and not just with the podcast but incorporating research into what we're doing and so we've had to do a lot of work to plan these podcasts for those of you in the audience I'm going to hold up what we're using right now which is not a script it's just a fly sheet with some conversational <laughs> notes on it most of this is completely on the fly um but we were reading a lot about pedagogy with no way to really talk about it or think about it mm-hmm. so having guests on um involving ourselves in the research more effectively. And then the most exciting thing, taking what we are doing here and bringing it to audiences like this, or even having conversations with colleagues about the podcast topics has really been a great way for me to be thinking about learning.
1: Well, in the way that you said that, I guess I'd never thought of it this way before, but we all know that one of the best ways to learn is to teach. So sometimes we will have our students teach a topic or tutor someone, and that's a great way to learn. So, I mean, you're exactly right, Katie. I am applying for membership to FASA, actually, so that's one of the reasons I definitely have got to dive even more into some research this summer, putting my dossier together, and then just, yeah, as we mentor other faculty that are are looking at their dossier. So we jump into this research, and so you are synthesizing it there if you're writing it, but then I, te- I'm an out loud processor. So I tend to talk out loud no, and sort you're, of I, you're yeah. an out loud processor, surprise, surprise, right? And so, yeah, you when we to come together and we, we get to chat about these things and sort of say it out loud and hear yourself saying it, that is likely, you know, that is how we learn because we're in a sense, teaching it to one another and to those who who uh, join us here on the podcast. And so as we're sort of teaching it, that is how we're, we're learning it and really understanding it even more for ourselves.
0: Yeah, and we just, to talk about a few general strategies about how we learn, there are a lot of really good resources out there. Journals, books, um, s- workshops, the Center mm-hmm. for Innovative Teaching and Learning at our campus is a fantastic resource. But I think the first step, with me with really understanding how I learn is to go figure out what I needed to know. Mm-hmm. So episode 11, two, two episodes ago, I talked with a principal instructional consultant at SIDL, Lisa Curzon. She was, we were talking about the expert blind spot. So we think we know about teaching a little bit. We know we know about our subject because that makes us credible in the classroom. But just finding a place where we can actually feel comfortable saying what's out there, what, um, what do I need to read? What do I need to learn about? And what's good? What mm-hmm. information out there is actually credible and not somebody like who had a good idea but kind of spit it into a book that ended up being a little weird? Yeah. So so just like that filtering process, go figure out what you're missing. Whether that's an assignment going badly for like going badly for you a lot in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. or whether that's just a gap that you feel like you have in your knowledge about pedagogy. Lots of resources. Um, I'm gonna make a play. For or pull for the journal that um, we have at IU J Sottle, and it we've actually referenced it on this mm-hmm. podcast a couple of times. It's a pedagogical focused journal with a variety of disciplines, and that's been really helpful for research in our. I know we podcast. definitely
1: when we talked about attendance, we yeah. wanted to see what the research said, Critical and then thinking. be able to say, okay, this is what how it's applied in our classes, But and then forming teams. Mm-hmm. So definitely, that's a great one to look at.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, the final thing before we get to questions that's most important is that, and this kind of like spans off of what the first question I'm about to give you to read, this is like a okay. Um here, is that it's great to think about pedagogy from a lot of different disciplines. So don't mm-hmm. just, I'm in accounting, I'm not just going to go to a pedagogical source that specifically relates to accounting. In fact, from the place I spin off most effectively is to an, into a hard science. Like I like to see what biology professors are doing or um, math professors are doing. They're a little bit more quantitative. So don't limit yourself to your specific discipline because you can get lots of awesome ideas and be able to translate them and frame them better and in, into your own environment.
1: I feel like we've come back to just even that notion of being humble and like you said just being able to to recognize what you don't know and being okay with that it's probably not just academics where people feel like they have to sort of put on this front that they do know it all and they don't need help i'm sure it's it's that way in in other fields or and i'm
0: going to give a shout out to the back of the room here you being an expert in your subject yeah does it make you an expert in pedagogy? Right, right. And so that's why we are here. Yeah. And um, I think the first question I've handed you illustrates that a lot. I know who wrote this question, by the way. Answering. Okay,
1: so here is question number one. We're
0: going to take questions from the audience that are pre-written and pre-filtered. We're going to take four here just to kind of give you a sense of what we're thinking about right now in okay. this audience.
1: Okay, so here's question number one: Do you use trial and error in your classes? And if so, how do you use trial and error? And what effect do you expect when you use trial and error?
0: Literally, my entire teaching career has Just been trial and error. Literally, the entire thing has been trial and, <laughs> and error. Yeah. I trial and I error, and then I fix it, and then that goes better, and then it gets worse. Um, sure. Yeah, man, that one spoke to my heart right there. That's been literally my entire career. But how do you specifically? Oh goodness! Now I got to think for a minute. Can you think of a specific example? Yeah. There? So this semester, I um, recovered kind of from the terrible semester I had last fall. So if you'll recall, last fall I had a class that just didn't go well for a variety of reasons that you can hear about in episodes one through five, <laughs> where I was just crying over the mic for. A it whole, was a little bit of therapy.
1: Was, this is also therapy. It was a therapy very podcast. intense.
0: It was just very intense. Um, but. I fixed that class. I went to the I actually went to a summer course development institute, which is one of the ways I learn and yeah. fixed it and it's going better. My students think it's going better and I'm also listening to the things they're still fussing about mm-hmm. in my class. So one thing I did um, and and it's better, but it you know, it's never it's never going to be perfect and that's one of the things I like about my job. So one of the trial and error kind of fundamental things I I did This just happened yesterday, actually, where I have a student who um, hasn't been doing great in the class. He's had health issues. He had a really bad experience. He's retaking this class because Mm -hmm. of a really bad experience he had with the class under a different instructor. And so I was like, fine, okay, I'll let you make up a few points here. This is an assignment that I just wrote from scratch that I'm planning on giving my students in spring 2020. Do it and tell me what you think about it. And he gave me really good feedback. Kind of, it was... It was a little hurtful, no kidding. <laughs> he was like, if there aren't
1: tears, are oh we my really gosh, learning? If, if
0: I'm not crying and they're not crying, are we all really learning? But he was basically telling me that, um, that he liked the concept of it better than just the monotony of the previous one. And he gave me some feedback for how I could even make it better. So that was definitely trial and error, getting myself into a key place. Yeah, I like that. Where... Like I had to go here. I don't know if this is any goodness yeah. to a current student who's gonna evaluate oh me my in a couple of weeks. I, I
1: love... tell students all the time that I wish I could pay them to like look at my Canvas course because when I look at it, <laughs> it all looks great. And then they start to find the inconsistencies or one, let's see if I can say this the short version because it's it's there is a podcast called, oh goodness, I'm forgetting the name of it. But it basically brings to life inanimate objects. So, like they okay, had, okay, this is getting weird. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's gonna getting... just get weirder and weirder. Okay, fun. They like okay. they had a can of cola basically like tell their story. So it's it's quite funny if you just it's need to check out. It's a podca- podcast. Oh, this is interesting. And now I'm totally blanking okay. on the name of it. What's your story? And so I basically had my students. They work on a project for. Macy's. And so they basically took on like these different private brands, like the hotel collection. And I was like, you team are the hotel collection and kind of had them act like they were telling the story from the right. You're all like, what? Yeah. That's about how well I explained it as well, because it was this foggy idea I had where I just listened to the podcast and I was like, this is really funny. And, and again, I do use some improv. So it was an impromptu. I was like, just pull this together. You're going to learn some great things about this company that you didn't know before. You're going to have fun. you're gonna just yeah be weird just go with it and it was just staring at you like they actually really liked it they did give me some feedback on some some ways to make it better but it was one of those where you have to have that transparency to just say hey I'm trying this it it might fail but yeah we're not gonna get better you know I, I want you all to take risks let me take a risk in front of you. And and so it is funny because with with my class, I teach, well, this semester, I have an overload. So I basically am teaching the same class like five times. So it is kind of funny because by the fifth class, it's dramatically different let's because talk, trial yeah, and error has been like I started the first to four. Say, let's
0: talk about trial and error. I'm like, I lectured the hell out of that yeah. in my very last class, of course. So the first class, I had no idea what I was talking about. And the right. last class of the same. It's like, I got it. Finally. It ama- I'm like, you guys got the most amazing lecture because I had to do it wrong. <laughs> twice yesterday but you guys you guys
1: got the good one you, you got the guys got one. the
0: really good one so trial and error I think is um in summary if I don't have trial and error in my class I get really bored and yeah. so having trial and error or just going out and saying okay let's just try this and see if it works and if it doesn't And I think that they can
1: appreciate that because the classroom is a lab environment. What a great place to try and err and fail and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and own the mistakes as we heard last night. Yeah,
0: tell them you're doing that and solicit feedback. And then they can go, okay, you want us to try something, we can
1: trust you that you're doing the same thing. All right, on to question number two. How do we bring or how do we get curiosity to be a
0: part of learning? How much time do you guys have? <laughs> I think we need an entire podcast for this, but um, so I think the first step in curiosity being part of learning is making it relevant to students. Mm-hmm. So I'm teaching an accounting class that's explicitly not part of the curriculum for accounting majors, it's for finance majors or other people who potentially need to take the class, but definitely not accounting majors. They don't care at all about accounting coming into it, but I have to get them curious about it in the way that it will impact especially their careers Mm -hmm. in the future. So if I'm making it sound like um, if they don't do this, their boss won't love them, I guilt them a little bit. I'll be (laughs) like a lot. I will guilt them a lot. Um, Or if I'm saying like, this is sort of a fundamental thing or you'll be better this way or even that this particular component, I'm framing this subject or this micro part of the subject to specifically tailor it toward what you are going to see in the future. So an accounting example is my finance majors do not do journal entries. They do not do T-accounts. They don't create financial statements. They look at it from the end user's perspective and ask questions mm. about the financial statements from an investor oh, perspective. Like so they ask a lot yeah. of what-if questions, a lot of projection questions. My That same level of class or same con, concept of class would not fly with accounting majors because they actually have to learn how to create the financial statements because that's what they're going to be doing. And I figured out that when I framed it in a way that said, you're actually going to need this going yeah. forward. They got curious about the subject. I got way better and I questions. I like that
1: switching the perspective
0: and them being almost the audience and seeing it from that side. Yeah. That would make it more interesting. And that's the feedback I continue to get from them, actually, is that they want to see even more of that. Now, yeah. I'm an accounting professor. I have limited knowledge of what they are actually going to see, but it's inspiring me to do more research yeah. about that's their topic. What about you? How do you get your students curious? You
1: know, I think. Gosh, should we use guilt too often? I find myself saying, you are curious. So I think just reminding them, because we have these, I know that they are, they know what's going on in the world. I mean, they're smart, they are curious. So sometimes I think saying that, like, come on guys, like you're curious, why don't we? Uh, But so my class is a presentations class and I think I try to get them excited about sometimes kind of playing the devil's advocate or the contrarian. So, listen to the these other presentations and I tell them the burden of asking the questions for Q&A really is on them. But again, I'm like, "You're curious. You wouldn't you want to ask questions, you know, wouldn't you want to listen and and be able to ask good questions of your of the people who are presenting so i think that's one way I do it it's just reminding them again that we are all learning we get to learn but i like your takeaway of just continuing though to make it not only applicable for them But sort of, yeah, even applicable, like you'll see, this will be important to you. Yes. These skills, you know, critical thinking, learn to do it now because you're going to need this your entire life. It's not just an exam or a presentation. There's so much more habit building and skills that you're getting out of these classes. My finance
0: classes need it framed, how to make your boss love you. That's literally I know it's bad. But that's literally how they need it from they go okay, I'll yeah. do whatever you ta- whatever you say whatever to make my say. boss love me. Yeah. Accounting students don't feel that way, but finance students, senior finance students who already have who know who their boss is going to be right. need me to tell They're them. They like tell me more. And they that I get secrets do you that's have. That's such a bad way. <laughs> this is how I learned, but it's also like kind of a dirty secret that I have. Final question here, Don. Right. Also recognize that handwriting going with number one on here yeah so
1: this is our third question describe a recent aha moment you had
0: about teaching oh man so how one way i learn is by um figuring out where my students are and this is like not the aha moment i think that the writer was asking for but i'll say it um i was embroiled in this like insane academic misconduct case last week this is not at all where you thought this was going but here we are um, and my aha moment that I had about teaching is that in order for me to keep my students on their toes, I have to do different things. And the reason I'm bringing up this academic misconduct case is that I had a student who didn't even pretend um, that he wasn't doing this. He was paying for answers on the platform that's probably very no. famous to you called Chegg. And he came to my office and told me he was paying for answers and that I probably should look more closely at his assignments. And he's really sorry. Just an error. The reason that he was able to do that to begin with is that my effort to try to reorganize my class, I was still using book problems to give them homework. And book problems are accessible on the internet Mm -hmm. and students get lazy and they know that that's accessible. So I actually had a pretty intense and again, not maybe the direction this was going, aha moment where I said, okay. I could do the same kind of assignment here but i really have to be better at now that i have my feet under me with this class i have to be a lot better about creating original content so That's my students actually point. do it it was yeah. a hard one to have but huh. really important so actually that assignment that i just referred to where my student redid or tried to experiment with the spring 2020 semester have was was my own work. Okay. and that was part of the experimentation of though. Okay. How, how am I think I have confidence to write my own stuff from scratch, yeah. but I didn't realize I had to yeah, until I literally spent I mean, the better part of a week writing academic misconduct reports about okay. for a student who's probably going to get kicked off campus uh, because he paid for answers. Yeah, that's Summer. Yeah, um, sorry, I don't, yeah. But we Did told we
1: a, told people before. I yeah, I can I can balance that out. Yeah, but we were saying to, to our live audience that uh, oftentimes the learning does come from those ugh moments. Not yeah. always the aha uh-huh, positive light bulb like moments, yay but yay moments, but yeah. sometimes the aha uh-huh, ugh kind of punch in the stomach. What comes to mind for me? And again, I can tie it into what the speaker talked about last night with teaching truths. And I'm thinking one. He noted there will be challenges, and I think that's where he talked about, you know, technology often fails, or you've reserved a specific room for a specific activity, and then something went awry, and you don't now have that room, and you're kind of all in the hallway awkwardly looking at each other. But for me, and so I guess this is an incredibly specific moment in time, I'm a control freak I mean I like for things to go I'm a planner I can attest to <laughs> type this type A how yes. nervous were not you not as much as you I mean just you're oh. more organized than I am is, is what oh, I'm getting at that was, that was hurtful oh no, you sometimes look at Katie's files they're very organized all of that to say um, I definitely you know I, I, I plan the classes I know what we're doing and I don't like if I have to cancel a day or something does go wrong but I found so let's say that I have a toddler, let's say that she's sick or or I'm ill and can't come in or yeah, there's tons of snow, whatever it is. There are right? reasons why the toddler wouldn't be able to cancel. Go to school. classes usually. But I have found when I do have to cancel class and I'm like, I can't cancel this day. I can't, this of all days is the one that can't be canceled, is normally when things go better or because it forces me to Get rid of the plan. So again, one of the reasons I love improv is because I'm still learning it. It's very you know, be able to go with the flow, live in the present. Uh, you don't have to have the script, which again, I've done this for years, but I'm still. Some people say it's almost like a religion, and I'm like, yes, yes, it is, because you're you're kind of always learning it. But like I'm thinking, okay, I can't think of one example. A few years ago, I went to China for a week with with some of our students. I think it was over spring break and we ended up having to stay for i believe another full week and my students had a big case competition basically right right when i was returning so i should have been back for a couple of class days to continue to work with them you know play that devil's advocate that i like to play and ask them really good questions about their idea and help them poke holes in it just get them presentation ready and i had you know i was in china for two extra days and then came back and they just wowed me they were able to you know it gave me the opportunity to maybe create some online assignments that they could work through a colleague asked me years ago do you trust them and i still hear that voice often because i get to the place where if we're being humble and honest I, I probably don't because yeah. I, I trust myself. Right. And so sometimes it's easy to say, like, it's it's yeah, it's me driving the ship. And, and but it's like when I have to take a step back and and put it back in their hands, it's really good for me and good for all of us, because it's like, whoa, you guys, you got this. Um, and so I think that's like the aha moment that I continue to learn is to just have that flexibility, let things go wrong, because chances are something good will come out of it and then just that do you trust them i have to come back to that often (laughs) i wish it would just solidify in there but um yes i trust them
0: yeah the second half of that question was advice that we have for somebody who's just starting out in this profession i think Mm -hmm. we talk about this on pretty much every podcast but i think you just summed it up really well with that you two things one you really have to trust your students because Mm even if they aren't trustworthy, necessarily, <laughs> they'll figure it out. They and eventually will. they will be, because it's you're still running through the cost. But the second thing is that you just have to keep being willing to change it up a little bit. You think mm-hmm. you have a plan, but it has to change. Um, we know this of having toddlers. I think that might be the most humbling <laughs> change yes. of experience ever, ever. I'm changing a lot with this yeah, almost you changed, two-year-old. You change a lot. i like, I can't control everything. Who knew? I can attest that that will get even better for you. <laughs> I'm having a four-year-old myself. <laughs> oh, boy. But anyway, that you have a plan, and even if you feel like it went well, there's still room for you to understand how your students think you could make it better. Mm-hmm. So our live audience has been sitting here for 30 minutes while we do this. And I think, Dawn, that... Um, We just experienced a live podcast for the first time, and perhaps so did (laughs) they. So I'm going to say this is how we teach college.